Welcome to King of Glory Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this week's encouraging message. For more information, please visit kingofglorycc.com. Well, I want to thank you all for the warm welcome back. I have been coming here for 11 years, and uh, we got sent to Dubai because of my husband's work, and we were in the Middle East for a while. And uh, as you heard Pastor Sam say, he is now the program manager for SPEAR, uh, which is a rapid response security force to protect embassies at risk around the world. So we don't have a team everywhere, but we have them where we need them. And I called Pastor Sam and Eliza and told them uh, not too long ago after the Nairobi uh, situation that I said, man, Jamie is living his best life. I said, his team took out those terrorists, and I said, and these people are alive, and everybody wants to know what Spear is, and, and you know, the thing is, is, is when the ambassador was at risk in Benghazi, I mean, this is the ambassador of the United States of America, we sent no response. We did not respond at all. President Obama went back to bed, and Hillary Clinton thought everybody was overreacting. And, you know, he's dependent on the information that he gets from his Secretary of State. There was so much red tape that, of course, the contractors, you know, for the CIA, they went over and laid their lives down. You know, this is like real life for us. This is what we, this is what he lives, so I live it. I don't do it. I don't even own a gun. I have a taser. In a flashlight that's teal, it's not impressive. But let me tell you, get near me while I'm walking my dog in the middle of the night and you will hear it go. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, is that uh, immediately they took steps, the Department of State, to institute a program called SPEAR and brought my husband home from Afghanistan, which we're so grateful for. So now he is living in... Uh, Sterling, Virginia, outside of D.C., where he manages his program, and I am back in the house in the Outer Banks in North Carolina, and we are commuting back and forth, which I'll tell you needs a grace all on its own, and uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, I am a mother of four, uh, a homeschool mom, a trauma counselor, (laughs) a wife, a grandmother of five, and all of my grandchildren are perfect, and uh, so, uh, which I'm sure most grandparents here would agree with, Um, and uh, you know, it's funny because I had, oh, hello, I came in here like a hot mess today, let me tell you, from the hotel, couldn't print my sermon, earrings falling off, things everywhere, I met Mike, Mike got baptized by fire into the Arizaga experience this morning, Uh, and uh, So anyway, uh, so that's who I am. I have uh, been an itinerant minister and a pastor. Uh, We started, my husband and I and another team started a church uh, in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Pastored that church for 14 years. Went on the road for itinerant ministry for 10 years. Went to the Middle East. Had to resign my ordination so that I could enter the country and not be a threat because it is against the law there uh, to even say you know, God bless you to someone who sneezes because it's considered proselytizing. And um, recently the Lord has opened up the door for um, us to step back into ministry, uh, traveling and speaking and teaching and training together. 
which is exciting because he's always been saving the world from the world. And now he's going to save the world from here in the United States. So I'm really excited about that. And we're going to be traveling and teaching together. And I think you're even going to get to hear from him at the conference in April if you come. And let me tell you, he has a lot of really cool stories. I mean, like the coolest Jason Bourne kind of stuff, <laughs> if you're into that. I have nothing I can tell you about, you know, homeschooling and all that kind of thing and, you know, pastoring and diapers and kids and what have you. But he has the cool things, so you definitely want to come and hear him. Um, I, I have to tell you that... Um, being a grandma to me, I mean, I, my four grown children, I mean, I, I, they were amazing. They're my favorite people on the planet. I love them. Uh, they're all adults. Um, we only have one son left in college. Uh, he, um, it took Jesus to have a word with him because, you know, Tar Heel born, Tar Heel bred. And when we die, we are Tar Heel dead. And so he always thought he would go to Chapel Hill for medical school. And after he interviewed, he got a call to go up and interview at UVA. And he was like, well, you know, I'm just going to go out of respect because I got the interview. And he put his foot on the campus and he called me and he said, Mom, water is running out of my eyes. Why? I said, son, your spirit is responding to the presence of God. He goes, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to Chapel Hill. He said, I belong at UVA. Mom, God is everywhere, all over this thing. I can feel it. So our son is finishing up at UVA Med, and um, we forgive him. Did y'all see the game last night? Oh, my goodness. And, you know, I thought Krzyzewski was lying. I felt like that was a lie from the pit of hell when he said that Zion was doubtful. I felt like that doubtful just didn't feel right. Didn't feel like truth was in that, you know. And then when, when, when Zion didn't play, and I wish no harm to that young man. He's a fine young man, talented young man. Of course, no one will ever be Michael Jordan, just want to say. Okay. All right. He, he, he's probably the next LeBron or something. Yeah, I agree with that. But, you know, MJ, come on, people. You know the truth. Don't, we can't be lying in the pulpit. So, um, that being said, I was so excited last night to see our boys take that, just sweep it. People, we haven't, we haven't sweeped it since 2009. And I just felt like it was an omen, like a sign from God of good things to come for this church and for everything else. So, anyway... <laughs> I just wanted to share that. It's just what's in my heart to share. Um, also, uh, before I get started, I'm not even preaching yet. So, you know, I'm just, we're just warming up here, okay? So everybody get comfortable. Um, I want to give honor to the worship team today. Please, please give honor to the worship team today. You know, the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. And I got to tell you, sometimes you go to people's houses and you find out they're serving food you kind of like or they're serving food you will eat but you know it's no big deal and then you go and you find out like it's your favorite meal ever well you know I've traveled all over the world I've been in worship services I love to worship with God's people no matter what denomination they are no matter where they are 
My husband, another thing you want to come to that conference and hear, he's got stories of secret churches he's connected with across Africa where they smuggled him in. And, and, and he got to sit with these people who walked for days to attend a service and the building being so far filled the building that the people are sitting outside, nursing mothers, people with babies, sitting outside to, to just worship with the body of Christ in unbelievable temperatures. And, and, and these are secret churches because these are Muslim-controlled areas. He's got cool things to say, so you want to come meet him at this conference. But anyway, um, one of the things that, you know, there's, if you've had any teaching, you guys had Ray Hughes here a hundred times, I know you know. There's so many words for praise in the Bible, um, multiple Hebrew words. But there's one specific word for praise that whenever this word is used, it's called tehillah. And when tehillah is, being, is, is the act of praise or worship that's going on, it is the only form of praise that it says that God sits himself on it. And then it is the only thing it says he is jealous for. And it is the unscripted surfing of the spirit when you just release what's in you. And I'm telling you, you know, the, the brothers were singing and playing, and it was wonderful. And then we hit the flow, people. And I was like, whoo, it's cake and ice cream day. This isn't going to be your grandma's, you know, yogurt pudding for dessert. We're going to feast today in worship. And I am grateful to y'all for that. Let me say I mean, when we hit the tequila, whoo, I'm like, I mean, I felt like, you know, ripping off my coat and running around the building, but I thought that might scare you, so I just try to, you know, control. But I just got to say, when you've got a worship team that has the maturity and the vulnerability to be able to steward the tequila praise of God, y'all are a blessed people. And so I just want to commend again the worship team for that. And thank you for the cake and ice cream. I wasn't even expecting it. And it was just excitement. It's like walking in and somebody saying, we're having brownie Sundays. Whoopee, brownie Sundays. That's all. So thank you so much for that. All right. So again, I was going to say to you that my favorite thing about life is being a grandma. And, uh, you know, being a homeschool mom, I homeschooled my children to college, so this was a serious commitment. I, I, I uh, uh, got my own roast, baked them, sliced them up so they wouldn't have preservatives in their lunch meat. You know, like I was hands-on, very protective of, of, you know, blue dye and red dye and all the things. I mean, my kids grew up, you're going to be healthy spiritually, you're going to be healthy physically, Mom is on duty. And then my first grandchild was born, Casey J. Williams, which y'all, some of you from here know. And um, my daughter used to be on the worship team here, Jessica. And uh, that is her son. And he was born. And, of course, you know, just perfection from immediate. And, um, you know, I had to, like, take out a permit to get a hold of this kid because she just was like, you know, this her first baby. And finally... Finally, she's going to a woman's conference, and she brings him by. He's 10 months old, 
and I know he's coming to stay for the whole day. And she's going up there to church where they have church. You know what I mean? Like they're going to stay. So we had had a dinner party the night before. And um, I had this big old cake. I mean, it was like this tall from the bakery. And half of it was still there. And it was just filled with all kinds of good things. I mean, it was just a, you know, elaborate cake. And um, so she went out the door, you know, and she left everything. I took that little boy, 10 o'clock in the morning. I stripped him down to his diaper. I put him in the high chair. I got that cake, the whole thing, and I set it on that tray. And at first, you know, he's looking at it, you know, and he's like, and he touches it, and, you know, he likes the texture. And then like a baby, he puts it in his mouth, and, I mean, his world was set on fire. It was like getting filled with the Holy Ghost, that cake. And, I mean, immediately, he's hitting cake. You know, he doesn't even have good aim yet because it's 10 months. And so it's cake everywhere, all over him. And I'm like, Grandma loves you. Jesus loves you. This is the cake. And every time you come here, Grandma's going to give you cake. Well, lo and behold, my daughter forgot something in the baby bag. And she came back. And she walked in that house, and she saw that baby covered in cake. And, I mean, by this point, his hands are shaking because he's on the main line now, the sugar. You know, time to get in. And he's like, and she said, Mother, I didn't even have a Frito until I was 16. And you gave my baby cake? So I squared myself, prepared to take on this assault of occupying my territory as grandma. And I said, let me tell you something, little miss. I said, I was responsible for your health spiritually, physically, your manners, your dis discipline, training you up in the way of the Lord so you could find it and not lose your way in the end. But grandmas are only responsible for happiness. I said, so you need to make sure he eats right. And you need to whip his tail when he needs it. And you need to do all these things. But I'm going to tell you right now, when he's at Grandma's house, you leave him here, all bets are off, honey. <laughs> it's cake time. And I'll tell you, I'm here today to bring the cake. <laughs> this, is a, this is a transitional day for this church because I'm about to prophesy this church forward. I'm bringing the cake today. So y'all can reach in. Some of you might be worried about that red dye and everything, but that's not what I'm here to do. These are your pastors. <laughs> They're responsible to make sure you get a balanced diet and all that, and you're healthy and you get a little whoop when you need it and all that. But I'm not here to do that. So we're going to have cake today, all right? All right, let's, uh, this year, the beginning of the year, I'm actually going to start the word now, <laughs> for those of you keeping track. All right, let me look at the time. Okay. Um, that's right. All right, now, when Pastor Sam and Liza, Pastor Liza, invited me to come and bring the word, I, I, um, I'm not a person who brings uh, a pre-factured word, pre-manufactured word. I really wait till the Lord speaks to me the word for that house. 
And I'm not saying everybody needs to do that. That's just, I won't be doing that at the conference. We will be studying some established things. But when I come to speak, I know that the Lord has a word for this house. And again, that's what I'm saying. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna eat the cake today because this church is about to have a seasonal shift that's not going to be subtle. It's going to be dramatic. And, and you've already been in the turn of it, but... There is something that's happening supernaturally that we're going to partner with today. And, um, and the church is going to be different from this day forward. Now, beginning of the year, I went to see with uh, this team of people, the, the Katzenbergers, who uh, have planted a church uh, in Maryland. And my husband and I have been working with them and mentoring them. And uh, we went to see Bobby Connor. Do you guys have Bobby Connor here? No. Sometimes? Okay. Well, you know... Bob Jones, who was a friend of this house before he went on to glory, you know, he used to uh, do the shepherd's rod every year. The Day of Atonement, he would go before the Lord, and he would listen for the word for the year. And he contacted Bobby Connor out in Texas, and he said, Look, God has said that you're supposed to do shepherd's rod too, and we're both going to go in on the Day of Atonement, and then we're going to compare notes because we're going to end up confirming for one another what the Lord is saying. You know, the Bible says if you believe the prophets, you prosper. So, and, and you know, the, the, all the time we study in the Word, the, the sons of Issachar were the ones who knew what the Lord was saying, to, what the times and seasons were of the Lord, to know what we were supposed to be doing. So when you've got prophets who are willing to faithfully go in on the Day of Atonement and listen, what is the Lord specifically saying? The now word. For this season, it's very important. And out of all the things Bobby Connor spoke, there were two words from that that stood out to me for this house. And I'm going to break that down for you and how that applies to you specifically as we keep going. So Bobby Connor, if you want to bring up that first slide, Mike. Uh, Bobby Connor, he was talking uh, to us, and he said the first thing he heard for this year was the word occupy. Now, the interesting thing, about this word. As soon as he spoke it, it just went through my spirit, occupy. And I went home and I started meditating on it and I was studying it. And, and, and the thing is about occupy is it's, it's a place, you can go to the next slide, Mike. It means to take up or fill a place, take or hold possession, control of the place, which means you can own something. You can own a house in Florida that you don't occupy. You just rent it out. You see, the fact that you own something doesn't mean you're occupying it. Occupying is to take up residence fully to fill that place, that gift, that calling. In this year, the Lord is specifically positioning people to occupy things all they've done is own uninhabited for the most part. Change is coming in this area, being able to occupy and reside. One time I got a word uh, from a prophet uh, some years ago, and he said the Lord was going to give me two cities. He said the Lord's going to give you Amsterdam, and he's going to give you San Francisco. And he started saying all these big things about it. You know, and I'm a little podunk pastor in North Carolina. I'm like, oh, Amsterdam and San Francisco, good gracious. He didn't know my mom was gay when it wasn't cool to be gay. He didn't know my mom 50 years ago was practicing 
open homosexuality, who was a part of a group called Silver Foxes that went to Washington, D.C. and lobbied for gay rights. My mom was a feminazi, proactive, practicing of homosexuality way back before it was hip. And he didn't know any of that when he said, the Lord's going to give you these two cities. And I went home and I got on my knees the next day and I had a pad and a pen. And I'm like, all right, Lord. And I got on my knees next to the bed and I said, what's the plan? You're going to give me cities. I'm like living nowhere in North Carolina. But the prophet, you're talking about places that are really sexually broken. And he doesn't know about my mama. So this sounds right. It all makes sense. And I had my pen. And I mean, like, you know, spiritual people. I'm telling you, at certain times in my life, I had perfected a whitewashed sepulcher looking spiritual while the inside is not as cleaned up as it needed to be. So I'm kneeling down next to the bed, humble before the Lord, with my pad and pen, a faithful servant, ready to receive instruction to take the cities God wants to give me. And I said, Lord, I'm ready. And he said, get up. And I thought, well, that can't be the Lord. And he said, get up. He said, Joanne, you learn how to occupy your own sphere of authority and then come back to me and we'll talk about cities. <sighs> what? Here, the first authority. There's three types of authority in this world. Birth authority. This is your garden. I do it this way. This is how I train, teach. Put your hands out around you. This is your Eden. It's yours. It was given to you at birth. It's authority that you were born with. These walls were meant to keep out of Eden what doesn't belong in your garden. It was meant to keep you in from where you didn't belong outside your garden. This is your sphere of authority, and it was given to you. You can put your arms down now. Thank you. Y'all are so faithful. God bless you. I, I reckon some of y'all would have sat like that until this thing was over. Um, and, uh, and what happens is because we don't always understand that or because we live with neglect and abuse, those actions of neglect, because people only, a lot of times, want to focus on abuse. But um, we've, it's been discovered that neglect at particular times in your developmental stage as a child is just as devastating to you as abuse. And so what happens in this neglect and abuse pattern, your walls get trampled down by sexual abuse, by dominating parents, by religious parents, by broken parents who don't want you to have any walls or boundaries to keep them out. And, and uncles and school teachers and priests and all kinds of people, siblings, push in and they knock down your walls. And what happens is you end up in your adult life, your chronological age, but your garden is unprotected because unless someone has come along and said, this fence is down, we've got to build it back up and teach you how to do that, you're in your chronological age, but maybe your ability to resolve conflicts about eight years old. Or maybe your ability to understand how to process uh, hurt and disappointment is 10 years old. You understand what I'm saying? This sphere of authority that we learn to occupy. So I was raised um, in 
tremendous neglect and abuse. My first memory is my mom walking into my room at four years old and waking me up from a nap and putting a gun to my chest. And she said, Mommy's going to show you how the gun works. Her decision at that time, because her stepfather raped her until she was old enough to fight back at 18 and run away and join the Marines, she knew that she was getting ready to kill herself because she could no longer live with the fact that she had no possession of her sphere of authority. Her walls were down. Her life was in disaster. And she was suffering all the pain that would suffer if you just opened the doors of your house and let everything come and go and people take and do, and you wouldn't have any safety. Of course, now we talk about borders and safety, and everybody wants to call you a racist, you know? But I'm just saying, this is biblical truth. This is where it starts. You have a Garden of Eden. And, you know, people read the, it's so funny, the, they say they sum up the Satanic Bible, Satanists do, with one phrase, do what thou wilt. I said, well, you know what? I said, that's not even original, because that's what he said in the garden. He said, look, there's two ways you can live. There's a couple trees here you can eat from. I don't advise you to eat from that one. But you know what? Do what thou wilt, because that's freedom. You see, we're, we don't understand, so we're born with this, this garden. And a lot of times our walls are down, we're suffering. So my mom is at this point where she can't take it anymore. And she knows if she leaves me behind, I'm going to go live with the grandparents, with the stepfather who raped her her whole life. And she doesn't want that to be my life. So out of her broken mind and her desire to be merciful to me, she is going to end my life with her. See, when you're mentally ill, you're mentally ill. You understand? But when you're four years old and your mom says, I'm going to show you how the gun works, then she couldn't pull the trigger looking at me, so she turned me over and she put the gun in my back. Well, i got to tell you, I had to go to Inner Healing and get both those guns moved off me because they are with me because I didn't know how to build up those walls in my garden. I had to, there was work that had to be done to occupy my sphere of authority. See, and then, and, and you know, this is biblical because he says in 2 Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will forgive their sin and heal, hear from heaven and heal their land. What are you? Your, your land, your dust, your dirt. See, this is where it starts. This is where Chronicles start. People want to be out all over and, and, and I love evangelism. God bless the evangelists here, man, the fivefold. You need that in the church. But people, I'm going to tell you right now, you try to get out there and you haven't got this, you're going to get your butt whipped. Like that man who, who said, uh, in the name of the God that uh, Peter and Paul preach, and the demon said, I know them. Who the heck are you? And he whipped his butt. And that's what happens. And then we get out there and we don't understand that the first sphere of authority we've got to occupy, not own, fill up with that, with that authority that God's given us. See, the next authority that comes is delegated. That's what comes as you get your education. You get it from your job, your parents, you know, offices that you engage in your life will give you delegated authority. But then there's this wonderful third form of authority that doesn't come with being born. And it doesn't come because you're born again in Jesus Christ. It's earned authority. 
And that's when you got out there and you built those fences back up. And every skunk and squirrel and critter that moved into your garden that didn't belong there gets put out. And you start to erect the boundaries and start to walk and occupy this authority. This is something we're going to see more of in a quicker, this is what the Lord showed me, it's going to be advanced. It's going to be sped up for people to learn, to occupy. This house is so blessed that y'all have pastors that care about inner healing. Because you know what a lot of people will teach you? A misuse of scripture. Behold, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation and old things have passed away and all things have become new. And yet, when you exegete that scripture, it says, ancient trouble is passing away. Ancient obstacles like sexual abuse and, and neglect and dominance and any kind of sin. God doesn't care about sin, but this is the kind of thing. Now, now. You can imagine, this is my first memory, and then my second memory is my mom couldn't pull the trigger, so she went in the room and shot herself. So I walked into the room, and that is my next memory. This is how, this is how I start life. I have nothing before that. But I can tell you right now, I can walk into those memories, and I can walk out, and all they are is things that transpired. There is no pain. There is no trauma. There is no woundedness, because I did the work to get this. So I could get out here. A lot of churches say, well, why are you saying so much about this? Because a lot of churches want to expand their territory. They want to go to multiple services. They want to get a satellite. They want to plant churches. People, you can't get out there till you get here. I mean, we, how many have heard that charity begins at home? And that's what the Lord, he always models us for us. So I challenge you this year, if you've got fences down, if you've got critter, man, get help. Go to Restoring the Foundations. Go to the inner healers that are available. Go to Sozo. Go to the places. Do the work. Because when you get this done, you start to move out. And you can start to take some real territory. And this is real territory too. But you understand what I'm saying? That's how growth and expansion work. It doesn't work because you've got a vision and an excitement for it. And so you whoop everybody into a frenzy and try to go get another meeting going. Get all Because I'm going to tell you what happens in that is you just burn people out. You get people all worked up about some things. And you get people excited. And you can ride on that energy for a while. And then it peters right back down because God's not in it. Because God doesn't violate his own law. If my people who are called by my name, I will heal their land. And then they, now, you're always going to be a work in progress. But you understand what I'm saying about getting some basic authority. It's time to occupy this sphere of authority for ourselves. And because we're living in this age of counterfeits, my gosh, is it important that we, uh, that we learn to walk in the authority that God has called us to. I watched a special uh, the other day on uh, Lady Gaga, who is a prophet redemptive gift. And, you know, she's got the same, she's got the message. Her message is love. And it's interesting to me because I know she's responding to a God call on her, on her life. But the Bible says unless a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. So what happens is the call is there, the energy is there to reach out, but what you don't have the kingdom, you can't even see it. You don't know. You have nothing to bring 
when you get there. So it's like calling everybody to supper at a big meeting and then having nothing to serve but rocks. But they call it, they call it love. But it's not love because, the, because it's not love to leave people in bondage. And it's not love to lead people into more bondage. And I was looking at her, con her concert where she had the performance artist vomit on her. And, uh, and, and she said, I'm an artist and I'm, I'm ahead of my time leading people into a new freedom. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is the spirit of Antichrist. See, the problem with Antichrist is we have the word anti and we understand that word. If I'm anti-abortion, what does that mean? I'm against it. That's not what the Bible, that's not what the word is in Greek and Hebrew. The word in the Greek and Hebrew is not against it's counterfeit. So when we are looking at the spirit of Antichrist, we're not looking at the opposite of God. We're looking at the counterfeit forces in the world so that she goes and sends out the call that's on her generational line, the mother monster, to all the monsters, except what does, and she's a talented woman, don't get me wrong, I'm not against Lady Gaga, I hope she finds the kingdom so she can see what her call was really about. But what she offers is she offers bondage upon bondage upon bondage. You see, when what is the church called to? Freedom upon freedom upon freedom, spheres of authority occupying. But if you don't understand that, then you're just going to get caught up in a whole bunch of spiritual behavior. Like our brother said at the, for the um, communion, you know, you got to do it right. Here, you got saved. We've got good news for you. First of all, you can't do anything you used to do because God doesn't like any of that. God's basically against sex and food and alcohol and everything. He doesn't really like any of that, so you're going to want to refrain as much as possible. And as a really special treat, here's some tithe envelopes. Good news, people. Sign up for that nursery schedule. What kind of good news is that? Good news is, you know, somebody asked me, what do you think your greatest success has been so far? You know what my greatest success has been so far? That I'm not a serial killer. Because <laughs> I could have been. I was raised in dysfunction and despair. Because you know what happened? When my mama didn't die, and she went to the mental hospital for years after she recovered from her gunshot wound, guess where I went to live? Same place she grew up. And her life became my life. And then, and then I was passed around to other perverted people in what we would now call child trafficking. Back then it was just sharing. <laughs> it was horrible. But you know what? None of that had the power to keep back, like our brother said today, the work that began in me the day that I determined to let him occupy and then I made the decision to agree with that and to do the work to occupy here and to get the walls back up. My greatest achievement is I'm not crazy. Although some people might debate that. <laughs> you understand? For you. And you know why I say that to y'all? Because it's not that unique of a story anymore. Because sit. 
sin upon sin is, is, is waxing layer upon layer of bondage. We got all kind of people, you know, going crazy, acting crazy. You know, this and this was the sad part. I used to think if you could get away from the crazy people, you'd be okay. You just got to get away from them, right? Join the military. Go off. Move to the other side of the country. Join the church or the church cult like I did. <laughs> it's half and half. You know, you never could tell which side of the thing you're on. I'm on the cult. What is today? The cult day or the church day? I don't know. We had, for a long time, it was, it was give or take either day. But, but this is the thing. What I didn't realize is that broken people break people. And there I was on the other side of the world, not involved with any of them anymore. And I was broken, not because I wanted to be, but because they were broken and they broke me. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus Christ is the only one who can put you back together because he made you. And that's why I tell people when I go out, you know, we're not going to be evangelizing much longer with the Roman road. Okay, how many of you went to Bible school when I did? You know, follow the Roman scriptures through the, you know, because people that I'm talking to now, they didn't believe the Bible's real. They don't believe God is real. They believe in the universe, and, you know, they talk to the universe. They don't talk to God. It's all kinds of things. We have people, if there was ever a time that, that strategies had to change, it's now. And that's why I can say to people, you were born with this sphere of authority. I can tell you my story, and I can tell you I am not crazy, and my walls are up because of Jesus, because we did the work to occupy, to fill up this space rather than suppress it and repress it because that does not allow you to occupy. All right, so let's keep going. So with this in, in mind, I had been asking the Lord, interestingly, challenged by one of the friends of this house, Jim Gall, to stop being so spiritual all the time in everything that I did and looking at things and to start looking where God was talking to the nations and to the people without us even realizing it. And so I took the challenge. You know, Jim Gall, he could say, yes, a new candy bar came out, and God is saying this to the church. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, let's break that paradigm and check. So I had asked the Lord that he would help me with this. And, uh, and so I was babysitting not too long ago, and my grandbaby, who's two years old, she's perfect. And, uh, and so we were, we were watching her show, Moana. And we watched it that weekend, I don't know, 36 times. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to tell you, you know how little kids are. And there's some troubling imagery in there. I'm not, I'm not advocating, you know, any of the Hawaiian god worship or ancestral worship, any of that. I'm just saying, you know, at her age, it's a Disney movie, and that's all it is. So we're sitting there, and we'll watch Moana, and I don't know, I'm really on time 35. And we're sitting on the bed, and I'm like... All the songs are in my head, which drives me crazy because then they're on loop, you know. And the Holy Spirit said, look out, I'm getting ready to show you something. And I'm sitting there with the baby in the room, and I'm like, what, what are you going to show me? And he says, pay attention to what she says. Go ahead and put that up on slide three, please. I am Mona of Motunu. Aboard my boat, I will sail across the sea and restore the hearts of Tefiti. Okay, 
you, you can cut that one. That's the end of it. So I'm watching this, and the Lord said, I want to talk to you about revelatory identity. I'm like, what? Because, you know, I hadn't even watched this movie the first 35 times. I'm just sitting there with the baby, thinking about things I want to think about, playing crossword on my phone <laughs> and looking up Bible verses. I didn't watch the movie to begin with. So, really, I can't even say I saw it that many times because I never really watched it. I watched my phone. But she doesn't care because she's two. She doesn't know what I'm doing. And, and so I started to watch the movie. And the Lord said, I'm going to teach you about revelatory identity. And if you watch this movie, how many of you have seen this movie? One. Okay. She starts out with, I, this, this declaration, I am Juana of Maltanui. Aboard this boat, I will cross the seas and restore the heart of Tefiti, which is her mission. Right? As she's transitioning, because she says it, and what's amazing to me is, because now I'm watching the movie because the Holy Spirit told me to, and if you got trouble with that, I'm sorry, you have to take it up with him. But, um, but he told him pay attention because he said he's given this message to all the people who are listening by the Spirit because he's always drawing people to himself because he's the hound of heaven. He wants everyone. He doesn't want anyone to be excluded. And so he's drawing people. Everybody watch him want The Spirit of the Lord is speaking. And he said, and, 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 and I watched her. So she goes out on the boat and she tries to cross and, you know, the waves knock her over. And she has all, all these obstacles. And every single time she gets up and she throws her hair back wet and she goes, I am Moana of Maltanui. And I will cross the ocean and restore the heart of defeat. I mean, I was like, man. She is determined. So, of course, I'm thinking my way. I wonder if she's a ruler, you know. <laughs> she's just got one thing she says to herself, and she just, you know, she's exhorting herself, but really just to do her job. And she's not even, she's not even phased. You know, the ocean throws her over. She's sailing for the first time. I mean, she's out there. She's trying to take authority, sphere of authority. She's possessing the sphere of authority, and now she's trying to get out of there. And she gets out, and anyway, and then the Lord said, watch this. And then when she goes along her journey, I'd recognize that her self-talk, her identity statement changes. And she says, she changes from, I am one of Maltanui, and she says, I am one of Maltanui, she says to the guy, you will board my boat, sail the sea, and restore the hearts of Tefiti. And then in the end, the Lord said, now watch this. I'm like, oh, my gosh, okay, watch this. In the end, when she's getting ready to face down this enormous demon of the volcano called Teka, she's standing there. I mean, she has had some troubles, y'all. This has not been the Lord's with me, and that's how we know because life is easy. She has had obstacles. She has had persecution. She has had ill-equipped, poorly equipped, but she keeps exhorting herself with her identity statement because she has her sphere of authority occupied. And in the end, she expands herself to say, I am Moana of Maltanui, daughter of the village chief. We are descended of voyagers who found their ways across the seas, and we will. And I mean, she just takes this thing to town, people. I mean, she's preaching big time now. And then at the end, she faces the demon down and says, this isn't who you are. She knows who she is now. No question anymore about her sphere of authority. And she comes out against these forces and says, this isn't who you are. I told you we're living in an hour of counterfeits. Fake love. Love is love. Love is not love. 
We have, we have been given a very specific definition of what love is. It is not what is being promoted to this generation. In this age of counterfeits, the church has to be a place of the truth. We have to be relevant to the harvest. Seven years ago, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night, and he said, ask the church if they're willing to pay the price to become relevant to the harvest. Because people... The old ways, the four spiritual laws tracks, the Roman road track, sure that's going to work with someone who grew up in a Christian home who's fallen away. But people, that's not going to work against people who don't even acknowledge the, the, the authority of Scripture or the authority of God. We have to come with truth because right now we've got Christians all over when they ask them, how do you feel? They interviewed Lauren Daigle recently. Wonderful. I love her singing. And they said, is home, they set the trap. Is homosexuality a sin? And, you know, she's got good people around her because they're marketing her, secular and non-secular. I have nothing against her. This was her answer. I really don't know. She said, I have so many friends who are homosexual, and I love them so much. She said, I'm still learning. If you get the answer, you let me know. Now, I'm going to tell you, that girl's got some good coaching, <laughs> okay? Because, see, everybody gets asked that question. doesn't matter who you are. If you're a believer, if you get on TV, the first thing, you've done anything with God, for God, first thing they're going to ask is that question. We have to be, we are not a people that are allowed convenient truth. Now, there's a way to speak the truth, the Bible says, speak it in love, and people grow up and are healed. But we can't be gray. We can't be counterfeit in here. And we've got to possess this for ourselves because we have a whole generation that wants to open these doors and check in here or that we encounter in our jobs and in our lives. The Great Commission, as you go, which is not an imperative form. Go into all the world. It's not the way it's written. It's as you go. As you live life, as you homeschool your kids, as you, as you go to work and as you're a computer programmer, Advance the kingdom of God by owning, by occupying your sphere of authority. And then you grow. Now I'm coming to the part that's for the church. Is this even scriptural? Pastor Joanne's talking about Moana. I'm troubled by the imagery in that. And what is she talking about now? Revelatory identity. Turn with me, please, to slide number four, which the scripture is already conveniently on for you. In Matthew 16, 13, people, you know, I love this. When we were pastoring is when people really started having phones and, like, doing the Bible on their phone. And, of course, you know, every teenager in church has their phone like this because they're looking at their phone Bible. You know, no phone Bibles. We know that's not real. Well, there are some people that do it. But for the most part, people are just looking at their phone or playing crossword or talking to their friends or checking Instagram. So... Matthew 16, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Identity question. Hmm. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of heaven 
or gates of Hades, excuse me, will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. This is where king of glory is at this moment. Name change. God loves to show up. Not that you have to change the actual king of glory. I don't mean that. Okay, Just so, you know, I mean, you can. I'm, I'm, it's your church. You can do whatever, you know, whatever they let you do. But I'm just saying, I'm not saying that literally. I'm saying in the spirit, the name of this house is about to be revealed in a greater way. What has been known? Simon bar Jonah. That is not going to be the revelation anymore. I have a friend. They, had, they got pregnant. And they're real super spiritual people. And so they, they spent months agonizing over the name they were going to name their child. And they were like this and that and the other. And, you know, it just was like this big ordeal. And we're going to the delivery room. And I'm like, do you have a name? And, you know, the Bible says a good name is better to be chosen. And I'm like, I said, look, y'all, you are way too involved in this because God changes people's names he don't like all the time. Just give that kid a name, and then Jesus will change it if you get it wrong. Don't worry about it. He'll show up and say, what's your name? Say, Ray, I'm going to call you Princess Sarah. What's your name? Mary, bitterness. You know, I mean, he changes people's name all the time. The Bible says he's going to give you a new name. At a certain point in your life, you turn over a rock and there's a new name for you on it. He's all about the names. You know, it's interesting. You know why he does this revelatory identity thing? Simon, this is how you've been known, but not anymore. You're going to be called Peter. We know what it means. It's rock instead of, you know, pebble. But the thing is, is he is constantly revealing his self, his name, his potential, his identity. I love that story where it says, when you're reading, that Moses would go into the meeting of the tabernacle, and Joshua would go in with him, and Moses would leave, and Joshua would just hang out with God. Except they get on the road to Jericho, and they're fixing to have a big old battle, and Joshua, who knows God better than anybody on earth at this point, sees the angel, and he's like, good gracious, we in some trouble here. And he goes up and he says, so I'm just going to, you know, just get right to the point. Are you for us or against us? He isn't even calling in, you know, the theologians or nothing. He's just like, okay, let's just break this down. Whose side are you on? That's what I need to know. He doesn't even recognize that he is encountering for the first time Yahweh Sabaoth, the commander of the angel armies of heaven. And he says, take off your shoes. And he says, oh, I know that sound. Woo, I thought you were an angel. Woo-hoo. Let me just step on back out of here, cut these shoes off, because he's getting a revelatory experience with an aspect of God's nature he has never encountered before. But even the man who has walked with God longer and more than anyone did not know Yahweh Sabaoth, or Sabaoth is how it's pronounced. He didn't even know who he was, but he knew after that day, He's like, whoo, commander of the angel armies of heaven. Y'all, let me tell you, I was down there. I saw God. It's be like Pastor Sam. You know him as pastor. You know him as husband. You know him as father. You know him in all these different ways. And let's say next week you're up to the uh, karate place. You got one here? Some type, you know, whatever. And you look in the window, and Pastor Sam, man, he's just walking it out. Ha, 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 ha,
and you walk in, you're like, Pastor Sam, you do martial arts. And they tell you, you don't know Pastor Sam. Pastor Sam is the black belt, super special, working secretly for the special forces. You didn't even know. And you'd be like, what? And y'all be like, I was shook. That's what my son would say. I was shook. I saw Pastor Sam, and I was shook. It shake your world, blow up your reality. You had to put it up on the gram so everybody could be shook with you. That's what it's like serving God because he's constantly revealing himself. He's Shama. He's Nisi. He's Sitkanu. He's Banner. He's Provision. He's, you know, and, and sometimes we don't know that. We don't know that part of him yet. And, and we got to know that, that he's healer, that he's restorer. Sometimes we know parts of God, other parts we don't know. That's why revelatory identity is a real thing, because it's what he's doing all the time and we're made in his image. Well, y'all are at the place of a name change. And I'm going to tell you, the name change isn't always easy, because first of all, some people don't want their name changed. They're comfortable with the name they've had. My name is Simon Bardona. I got my monogram on all my luggage and my shirts down when I send them to the cleaners. It says SBJ. What is this Peter thing? I'm going to have to pull out all that monogramming, get her thing new. Nobody's going to know me on the gram when they change my name because everybody knows who SBJ is, and now I'm going to be P. What is that? <laughs> See, it's not comfortable to have a name change. First time I had to preach the gospel, I stood up here like this. And my leg just shook, and I could not stop it. There was so much adrenaline, and I was so embarrassed. And I thought people felt so sorry for me because they didn't know if I was at the St. Vitus dance or if I was about to have a fit or, or what. If I was, you know, epileptic, they didn't know what was happening. But I was still talking, so they just sat there listening. I was like this. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I don't know what else to do but just keep talking because I was so scared. I didn't like that name change. King of Glory is about to have a face change, a mission change, an authority change, because you've been occupying. That's what I'm here to tell y'all. This is a cake. Y'all been occupying. You've been owning this space. You've been dealing with the junk. You see, the thing about old things being passed away, the old ancient inclinations, but the process of sanctification is lifelong. Nobody's got it together. Let's just get that straight right now. There ain't nobody walking got it together. No pastors, no one. What it is is when Jesus shows up with the wash rag, you take it and do the work. And he keeps showing up. That's a, that's a lifelong work. How many of you? Miss Joe, where's Miss Joe at? You're 99, you told me today we were talking. I stayed with Miss Joe first time I came. So precious to see her today. Miss Joe, are you still being sanctified? Is the Lord still working on you? Okay. She's 99. Is anybody here older? Lord's still working on her. Sanctification is a lifelong process. I'm going to tell you that right now. When I train people for ministry, I never look for perfect people. Jesus didn't. Look at John. He says, these people in Samaria don't want you. You want me to call down fire from heaven and have them destroyed? Folks, I'm going to send that boy home from Bible school in a minute. I'm going to be like, go get your suitcase. You are not material for the pastorate. You won't... I, have you not been walking with me here and I didn't come to destroy life? I came to give life. Did you hear anything? We had the Sermon on the Mount. Did you take any notes? Get your bag and pack it and go home and go see a mental health professional. Because you're crazy. But Jesus doesn't say that. 
Jesus is like, yeah, not today. Let's, 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 not, let's not call down fire from heaven and destroy everyone today. Let's, you know, let's try to keep working on this, John. He seemed to be a little bit confused about how this all works. Okay? See, the process of education, what I need to know is that are people teachable or are they correctable? If you are teachable and correctable, then you are a candidate for occupying. And that makes you a great resident and member at King of Glory because your name is changing, which means the things that some of the things you used to do, you probably won't do anymore. And there's going to be new things. And some things you will do the same. And then some things you won't. And people will be like, well, we always used to be over at XYZ. We were there all these years. We've been supporting those people. People got saved there. But you're not going to be king of glory, Simon Barjona, anymore. You're fixing to be Peter. There's new authority that comes with that. Expansion in the region expansion in the body of christ expansions coming to these two this very day expansions coming expansions coming here that's what's happening because god's always had a remnant in these mountains and he likes to keep his stuff now let's keep going Go to slide five. We're going to finish up with this. Next slide. This is the other word I want to give you, and then I'm going to call it. Restore for this house. He gave a lot of words. He's Bobby Connor. He said about 900 things going to happen this year. These are the two that I picked out for you guys, okay? Occupying, identity, advancement, name change, revelatory identity. Things are changing. It's not easy for that to happen, but it's needful. It's necessary. Peter wanted to go back and just fish again, but he had to become the foundation that the church was built on. People, it's time. If you're here, your shoulders are being expanded today for the authority that's coming on this house and the work that is going to be done from this house. So get ready. Buckle up. Okay, dip in the cake. And your hands might shake. What is this? And other people be like, I don't eat cake. It's poison. It's sugar. It's from the devil. Well, you have to get over yourself. Because God's all about the food. My, one of my favorite first things I saw in the scripture, they go up on that mount for the Ten Commandments, and you know, with all the mess that went on there. And then they go back up, and they bring up the elders, and the Bible says they had a covered dish with God. I'm like, people, if that doesn't mean church people should eat, something's wrong. All right, have your first covered dish with God. If it's good enough for God, and then we're getting to the thing we're going to later. He's, is God an exhorter? Of course, he's invited us all to the best party of all time, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I have people tell me, yes, I will not have any wine. I'm like, okay, don't have any wine. But you might want to get that note out at the marriage supper because I don't know if they're going to have sparkling juice there because the Bible says it's going to be wine, all this stuff. I don't know. You might have to work through that a little bit by the time you get to that meeting. That's all I'm saying. So he's inviting us to the biggest party. We're all, we haven't even got to the big cake yet. You know, but he's wanting to remind us there's no counterfeits in here. This is not a place where the counterfeit operates. This is a place where truth operates. It is truth that makes you free. Knowledge puffs you up. Truth, well, can. doesn't have to, but it can. Truth 
makes you free. It allows you to occupy. So now let's talk about this real quick, and I promise you I'll be done and get out of here. Restore. This is the other word Bobby Connor said. This is the scripture the Lord gave for me. Bring that up, brother, that next one. Joel 2.25, I heard this for this house specifically. Bobby Connor did not say that. I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, and my great army which I sent among you. Woo! Let me tell you, saints. I was like, Lord, really? Because, you know, that's like a big commitment. That's not like, oh, the Lord just wants to love you more. That's the word. And the Lord just wants to honor you and give you authority. And then I get to leave town. One time I was preaching in Seattle, and uh, we, had a gener we had a corporate repentance for women who were school teachers and counselors at this meeting because school teachers and counselors were funded by prostitutes, prostitution back in the early days in Seattle because the, the government wouldn't pay for the taxes, so the prostitutes paid for the schooling. So we did this generational repentance and this identificational repentance with all these school teachers and everything for Seattle. And, and the Lord said, get up and tell them they're going, to be a, they're going to see a sign from me that all of this produced something. I was like, Lord, please. <laughs> you know, this is serious business now. You can go up and say, the Lord wants to love you, he wants to prosper you. But when you start selling people, there's going to be a sign, undeniable. So I stood up. Because you know what? It's his responsibility. If he doesn't do what he says, that's on him. And then you, people might not have me back, and that's okay because I'm a good grandma anyway. <laughs> so I get up and I said, the Lord said there's going to be a sign in your city. I mean, as soon as I said that, I was like, what? That's new. I didn't even hear that sitting down. There's going to be a sign in your city that this identification repentance has worked in the increase of authority that's coming. I got home, and three days later, the front page of Seattle News said, Massive sting arrests over 300 places of sex trafficking and prostitution and, and pimps and all this kind of stuff. They sent me the whole, they cut out the page and sent it to me, and they said, Our sign. I was like, Oh, God, thank you. <laughs> Please do what you say. Okay, so. This is what he said. He's going to restore these things. Now, go to the next screen there, Mike. Locust. I'm, I'm going to do it quick because we don't have time to break it down. Every one of these words in Hebrew has a series of letters that create a meaning. Three letters each. Without going into all the exegesis, I'm going to tell you this. The locust means multitude swarming as if to drown out the still, small voice of God. The canker worm causes discouragement and loss of hope. The caterpillar is to devour with fear. These are the meanings of the Hebrew numbers attached to the letters of these words. This is where I'm getting this from. And the last word, the palmer worm, is for sorrow and loss, so as to be cut off from the joys of life. This is how you know if these worms are operating in your life. You know, it's interesting when I was studying these worms this week that they have a 10-year cycle. 10 years. And the Lord said to King of Glory, go back to that other one, Mike, the one before that. He said all of that is getting ready to change, to be restored. I'm going to restore where there's been devouring, where there's been loss of hope, where it seems like the voice of God has been silenced, that still small voice, where there has been all of this. Go back to the next one, Mike, please. All of that 
is what's being restored to you in the name change. People, you need to shout that this house is about to have a name change because you're about to have restoration on a massive level. I always say to people all the time, what if God is everything we hope he is? Oh, when you start living your life that way, people, they, darkness don't even want to fool with you because they're like, oh, she's a Tar Heels fan. Don't take her no Duke tickets. <laughs> if you went to Duke, God bless you. It's a wonderful school. Wonderful school. I believe Mike Krzyzewski's the GOAT of basketball coaches. I really do. I'm not against the school or, you know, just their basketball team. All right. Now, but I pray for their salvation. So. All right, go to the next screen. This word, you're familiar with it, right? Shalom, pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. Guess what that word is? That's the word in that scripture in Joel 2. I will shalom you. That's what it says. Shalom also means restoration. This is what's promised to y'all. He's going to shalom you. There is a completeness. There's an equipping. There is an authority. Shoulders branching out to hold the weight. Finances coming to this house because your name is being changed. You are no longer king of glory of the first season. It's king of glory of the second season. Your name is being changed because you are integral to the work that he is doing in the mountains. Let me share something with you about restoration that I love. In the story of the prodigal son, it says that he split up the inheritance between the sons because the son asked him for it. And everybody assumes that when he went off to his living, whatever it was, riotous or whatever interpretation you look at, where he ended up in the pig pen, everybody assumes his dad split up a whole bunch of money like his dad was a bank. People, his dad might have had a few gold coins laying around, but that's not how it was back in the day. When you were going to divide an inheritance... If the sons asked the father to do it, he would assign, it's called an assignment, Jewish law. This is not my opinion, this is Jewish law. Jewish law required that there would be an assignment of deed, which meant nothing. Because it wasn't any good, you couldn't sell it till your dad died. So let's say I go to my dad and I want half of everything because I'm on my way. I'm convinced there's better things out there than there is in here, and I'm going to go find my way in the world. Give me mine. And, and so my father sits down, and he writes me an assignment of deed to half of everything that's his. And guess what? It's worthless as long as he's alive. So what you got to do with that kind of thing is you got to find yourself a criminal money changer who buy it from you. And then you take that money, and you go live righteously. But this is the problem. Because it's not legal, the father goes to the money changer and holds him accountable to the law and takes the deed back with no recompense on the money. And the father does not owe the money because it was illegal to begin with because everything still belongs to him. When the devil steals from you people, he is stealing from God. 
and God don't like it. He will redeem what belongs to him. When God is shaloming you, when God is restoring you, because the prodigal, he messed up. See, some people, they just have a hard time in life, right? They're suffering. They're just hitting a hard time. Or maybe they got a generational issue or a sin issue. This is a disobedience issue. This is not an innocent person who got stolen from. How would we look at it? Well, you lost it too bad. You were in that sinful life. You lost everything. And God says, I beg to differ with you. This is my child. My name is on this child. How many of you had a child act crazy? Come on. I mean, somebody in here had child children, you know. I had some children, y'all. Whew, I tell you, my one daughter, my prophet redemptive gift daughter, she went to college. She came home. You know, she's at Meredith College, secular college, to go find herself. As she told me. Well, I didn't approve of her attire that weekend. I said, you know, what, what's this? I'm seeing all kinds of femininity here. That, you know, that's not the way you were raised. What's all this I'm seeing? Put that away. Your dad's here. Your brother's here. And uh, she said, you don't have the right to say that to me. I'm grown now. And I'm just trying to find myself. And maybe I'm not always going to be the way you want me to be or dress the way you want me to dress. And she took off from where we were, and she slammed the door going out of the house to get back in her car to go back to college. She turned around. She says, God translated me because I was standing right in front of her <laughs> like this. I mean, she slammed the door. She turned to put the key in her car door to open it, and there I was, this close. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I said, you may not know who you are. I'm fine with that. I said, but hi, I'm Joanne Arizaga. <laughs> Let me introduce you to who I am. Because I haven't forgotten who I am. And last time I checked, I own this house and you don't own house. And you cannot slam a door if you're not making house payments. That's the rule. That's the way this works. I said, and you know what? If you can't remember who I am while you're searching for who you are, you can keep your little butt at school. For a while till you can come here and remember i love you and i'll miss you and i'll cry about it but see there's an authority when you're occupying you don't you don't take that you're loving in it but you don't take that well that went real quick that got corrected she tells people all the time now she's like inspector gadget i mean like it's like gadget arms go my mom was there her arm was on my shoulder she said to this day you know, and she just graduated from law school at Southern Methodist University, and she's practicing law, and to this day still doesn't know how. I said, you a smart girl. You ought to be able to figure that out. You're mildly educated. Point is, it's going to be changes, people. Not bad changes, good changes. I'm not talking about any iron fist leadership. I'm talking about an open-hand relational government. But I'm saying that authority is changing. And when you know who you are and you're occupying your space and God is restoring, there's expansion. I bless you all and I thank you for welcoming me so warmly. Thank you for listening to King of Glory Sermon of the Week. Connect with us on Instagram at KOG underscore Asheville and on Facebook at facebook.com slash KOG Asheville.